This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Veterans Health Administration already had a lot of job vacancies before the pandemic, but the COVID crisis made the vacancies more acute, so VHA went to expedited hiring with the goal of getting people on board within three days of an offer. That strategy gets them in, but it does have some risks. For more on the possible downside, the VA's Deputy Assistant Inspector General, Lee Ann Seawright. Ms. Seawright, good to have you on. Thank you, Tom. So you looked at the expedited hiring as a result of the COVID, or were you looking at this before this all hit? Actually, I had a team that was doing an audit looking at the Section 505 reporting in relation to the Mission Act. And while they were doing that work, they came across, you know, the expedited hiring authorities that VHA was implementing. And we were looking at the risks within COVID, you know, across COVID issues in terms of areas that we could look at in the VHA cohort. And so they identified this as a potential risk. Plus, their history in working in human capital brought this to their attention as well with the personal suitability issues we've identified in the past. Yes, because they did have a big hiring shortfall. They needed about 40,000 people they didn't have after the Mission Act was passed, but before the COVID came in. Right. Probably in March 2020, they were showing about 47,000 vacancies within VHA alone. Wow. And so what are the risks in expedited hiring? You could hire a criminal, I guess. (laughs) You could. Um, But with expedited hiring, really what it allowed them to do is push some of the requirements such as fingerprinting, background investigations, credentialing, and some of the drug testing requirements post-hiring versus pre-hiring. So our concern was that, you know, specifically with the fingerprinting, The fingerprinting process is important because they pull those fingerprints and then FBI uses that information to do those background checks. And so if you don't have those fingerprints, then those checks, while you can do a name check, that, you know, if you've changed your name or if your name is a little bit unique or or like Tom Jones, right? There's a lot of Tom Jones. So ensuring that you identify the appropriate Tom Jones and find the appropriate background on those individuals. So things could slide through the cracks. And is there any evidence that something might have slipped through the cracks with any employees so far? Do we know? No, we haven't found any evidence of that. And this management advisory memo really was to highlight the risk to VHA, not because we found the problem necessarily, but because we wanted to ensure they remained aware of the problem. And one of the other risks that you identified is other deferred onboarding tasks may not be centrally monitored to ensure completion. Translate that for us. (laughs) So the human resources staff uses a USA staffing onboarding manager system. And so the guidance was a little unclear to that human resource staff in terms of how to track those tasks. So when we looked at it, the way they were interpreting the guidance is that they wouldn't annotate any dates of completion of those tasks until all the tasks were completed. Well, when you're hiring 50,000 people, it's really hard to manage, you know, where those tasks are, what's completed, what's not completed, if you aren't annotating those dates appropriately. So as part of our work in highlighting this issue to VHA, they updated their guidance. And so they will track those tasks as they complete them versus waiting until every task is completed for a hiring. Yes, and you mention as part of that pre-checking is the example is tuberculosis. I guess you wouldn't mm-hmm. want to have someone come on and be breathing all over sick patients with tuberculosis. Did the COVID come into that? Is also something that needs to be screened right away before people are onboarded? 
I can't answer that for certain. We did not look at that COVID screening, but I would think, you know, knowing the access points to VHA and whether people had a COVID test or hadn't had a COVID test before they come into the facility, I would think that would be part of the process. We're speaking with Lee Ann Seawright. She's Deputy Assistant Inspector General at the Veterans Affairs Department. And what were your recommendations then here? So in a management advisory memo, we don't make recommendations. We make what we call suggested actions. So like I mentioned earlier, we didn't actually identify that these things were or were not happening. We just wanted to ensure VHA maintained visibility of those processes as they move through this, you know, with the hiring of 50,000 plus people in a given year. That's a lot, right? So we wanted them to put more definition into the timeliness of doing the fingerprinting, ensuring that they add more specificity as to when, you know, kind of what the left and right bounds of that are. And then also, as we discussed earlier, the um, adding the requirements or being more clear in their requirements in terms of tracking those tasks. And with the fingerprints, you know, the longer they wait to do that, the more backlog there is on that suitability check. So we wanted to ensure that they were getting that moving into the process. And is one of the things they normally do, I guess this is maybe outside the scope of the specific report, but when they hire someone for the medical staff, a physician, an MD of some type, do they also check records to make sure there's no judgments or malpractice or that kind of thing against that particular practitioner? So our report um, didn't focus on that fitness of those hires, but VA does have a responsibility to perform those checks before hiring. So those would be tasks that VA would have done in advance of that. Got it. So that wouldn't be part of that three-day onboarding process. They would already have vetted the person medically by then. Right. So they would do a preliminary credentialing prior to onboarding them, and then they have 120 days to do the full credentialing when they are on board. And by the way, do they still have that 50,000-person gap, or have they closed it somewhat with all this expediting and so on? No, they haven't closed it. I mean, they are hiring. They have hired quite a few people, but, you know, VA has um, an attrition rate as well. So while they continue to hire, they still pretty much are maintaining the gap that they have. It's just that they're hiring the housekeepers, the nurse practitioners, the physicians that they needed to offset those needs within COVID. Yeah, it's hard to fill a bucket when there's a hole on the bottom, I guess, (laughs) even for Veterans Affairs. And reading this report, it strikes me that although you're talking in terms of VA's particular situation, the risks of expedited hiring It seems like this is a report you could almost share with the SIGI group and the other inspectors general because lots of agencies have had expedited hiring partly because of the pandemic. Right. And a lot of those agencies have the same requirements in terms of background investigations, fingerprinting, credentialing for whatever those requirements might be. And does this give rise to any future investigations you might look at just to follow up on on the people they've hired and the way they've done it? The credentialing and suitability has always been a focus that we've looked at within OIG. So I'm sure that we will continue to keep our focus on those areas moving forward. Leanne Seawright is Deputy Assistant Inspector General at the Veterans Affairs Department. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. We'll post this interview along with a link to her report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, 
what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that 
call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group Affinity Insurance world for um, three decades. I've uh, led this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling. Uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.